Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, everyone, and welcome to My Melanie Money Professional. My name is Dev Raga, and I'm your host. And in this episode, we will go through some of the mistakes you need to watch out for when preparing for and during your retirement. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment, and entertainment. Now, I've discussed plenty about investing concepts, primarily targeting young people, but we haven't really focused too much on some of the pitfalls to avoid in retirement, our older colleagues. Now, with specific reference to retirement, here are some of the episodes you may wish to revisit. Episode 82, I talk about aiming for 1.6 million in retirement. Now, back then, um, 1.6 million was the transfer balance cap, but that's been increased to 1.7 million. And July 1st this year in 2023, that's going to go up to 1.9 million, I think. In episode 125, I also talk about the concept decumulation phase which was a little bit complex and I used some studies and evidence-based approach on how you may wish to do that. In episode 28, which sounds like a really long time ago, I did a really important episode called Sequence of Returns Risk, which we'll talk a little bit about in this episode as well. And in this episode, I want to specifically highlight some of the main pitfalls in money matters during your retirement. And I've come up with 12 pitfalls that you need to watch out for. So number one is ignoring superannuation. This is extremely common. People just don't think about super. I was speaking to a colleague today who is a sole trader who doesn't maximize their super, especially amongst the self-employed. This is a real problem. Now, hands down, super is one of the most effective retirement income strategies we have, which is extremely tax efficient. Now, I won't bore you with all the details, but please take advantage of the following. Number one is concessional super contributions. Max it out where possible. It's literally free money, particularly if you're a high income earner and high tax payer. Number two is non-concessional super contributions. Wherever possible, max it out, especially if you're after the age of 50 and think you don't have much outside of super. Now, if you're a younger person, you may not want to max out your non-concessional contributions, and I'm cool with that. That's completely fine. Number three is carry forward contribution rules. You need to know what that is, particularly the junior medical staff, the nursing staff, the allied health staff, anyone that's relatively young in their profession and they're increasing their income by moving towards their career and reaching peak earning years, you got to definitely consider doing this as you reach those peak earning years, those senior levels, because you would have some carry forward contributions that you can actually accumulate and lump some into superannuation and therefore save on tax. 
Learn the difference between accumulation phase versus retirement phase and the tax implications of this. Remember, anything up to 1.7 million in retirement phase in today's money is tax free. Of course, there's conditions apply and that'll be indexed. And I think it's, like I said, it's likely going up to 1.9 million uh, in the next financial year. Now, downsize the contributions. What is this? How you can use it as an advantage to convert your non-income producing personal home to an income producing asset. Now, I've done a three-part series specifically on superannuation in episodes 231, 232 and 233. And I've done so many listeners have since contacted me after those superannuation series episodes and how they found some of the material very, very useful. So go back and listen to it. And there's also transcripts uh, when you click on the transcripts link. So you can actually read about it if you're a reader rather than a listener. Now, I get a lot of questions from people about investing and the basic principles, etc. But very few people actually contact me about superannuation. Either they're all over it or they just don't pay attention to it. And I'm concerned that it's the latter where most people sit. I've had some doctors and highly educated people that tell me that superannuation is a government conspiracy in order to steal their money. That's insanity. Even with the latest introduction, potentially, of changes to the superannuation rules, if you have more than $3 million, maybe you need to pay a little bit higher tax, up to 30%. Even with that, for high-income earners, it's still a pretty damn good deal. The bottom line is, if you're planning your retirement, super is a big deal. Don't ignore it. Plan for it. And even if you're young now, it doesn't matter. Think about it. Don't make the mistake, especially self-employed people, of ignoring all of the tax advantages superannuation offers. It really does catapult your retirement strategy. Number two is not knowing what government benefits you may be eligible for at the time of retirement. Now, this is actually quite difficult to predict because, you know, there's always legislative risk. Things may change. But, you know, some people may not get to complete financial independence prior to retirement or even in their retirement. And that's okay. And you don't need to have, you know, millions of dollars in your superannuation account or investment account to be safe in retirement. And Australia has a pretty generous social safety net during retirement in the form of age pension. If you can avoid relying on the government, definitely avoid it. I don't want people to rely on the age pension. I don't think that's a good strategy. But if you can't accumulate enough assets because you're a little bit older than the average person and you just you don't have much time, beg your pardon, before you retire, then you can use these sort of government benefits as part of your retirement strategy. Now, ignoring government benefits completely is just silly because that's what our taxes pay for. I think it's really important that people understand what government benefits there are and try and utilise it. The last thing I want for older Australians to do is to struggle in their retirement. Having said this, This episode is actually being prepared in sort of mid to late February 2023 and is actually due for release sometime in April. So be aware that if you're listening, you know, well into the future, um, the rules may have changed. So think about what government benefits that you can plan for. Number one is the age pension. This is quite simple. There are qualification criteria, which are threefold. You've got to be, at this stage, 66 years and six months old, be an Australian resident, which, again, it's interesting that you don't have to be a citizen to be eligible um, to get the pension. It looks like permanent residents may be eligible. Um, you've got to meet the income and assets threshold. And the rules here are widespread and it's beyond the scope of this episode. Those are the three things that you need to get right. And the basics are that per fortnight, if you're a single, your age pension is a maximum of $936.80. 
And if you're a couple, the maximum aged pension is $1,412.40. Now, you may be eligible for additional supplements on top of this, but the bottom line is it's not very much income, so don't plan to rely on it, but you may get a part pension if you don't completely achieve financial independence at the time of retirement. And I think you need to know the age pension system. Number two is concession cards. There are three main types of concession cards that you need to be aware of. Number one is pensioner concession card. Now, this gives you discounts on utility bills, medical bills sometimes. I mean, most doctors, if you're a low-income earner, healthcare card holder or pension card holder, most doctors would uh, accept this to Medicare rebate, although that's not guaranteed and it's not you know, it's not a legal requirement. Public transport fees are a lot cheaper if you're a concession card holder. The second type of card is called a seniors card. Now, this is when you work, but you have to work less than 20 hours per week, and that gets you discounts on public transports. And this is usually a state-dependent seniors card. And the third type of card is called the Commonwealth Seniors Card, remember a Fed scheme, which gets you cheaper prescriptions. And if your doctor is willing to bulk bill you, sometimes, again, it's difficult um, that they may not, uh, and it may get you some cheaper medical appointments if possible. But the Commonwealth Seniors Card is not the same as the Pensioner Concession Card. So if you have a Commonwealth Seniors Card, it doesn't entitle you, for example, in the state of Victoria, it doesn't entitle you to automatic ambulance cover. Whereas if you're a Pensioner Concession Card in the state of Victoria, you are automatically covered for ambulance coverage. Whereas I know in some other states, ambulance coverage is just universal, but in Victoria, it is not universal which again, I don't know why we have state-by-state systems. I think it's just always sort of just national. But anyway, that's just my view. If you have some of these cards, your banking cost is also lowered. The third thing government schemes you probably want to know about is government loans. Now, home equity loan schemes, um, previously it was called the pension loan scheme. You can use your real estate assets as security to secure fortnightly income payments. And also you can get pensions upfront. So if you have some unexpected expenses um, and it's not in addition to the pension, it's just a loan, they'll give it to you upfront. So you still have to sort of, you know, kind of pay them back or get a bit of a discount on your future pension. Number four is healthcare benefits. Now, there's a few sort of subclauses here. Number one is Medicare safety net within the healthcare benefits scheme. Now, after the threshold, your expenses becomes zero when it comes to Medicare costs. Now, here's a pro tip. If you go private for your obstetrics, for example, a lot of you will hit the safety net and any appointments will be at a reduced cost thereafter. It may not be, depending on your healthcare worker that you're seeing, but most of it is at a reduced cost as well. So it may well be a strategy to have your pregnancy early in the year, so you're more likely to reach the Medicare safety net. Number two is PBS Safety Net, which is a prescription um, sort of service, which is called the Pharmaceuticals Benefit Scheme. Now, this is similar for all prescriptions that are under the PBS. The cost caps out and very useful for older Australians who are likely to be on several medications for their health. So again, you know, try to understand that you need to register for these things and usually your friendly pharmacist will help you with that. Number three is vaccinations. Most vaccinations for our retirees and elder Australians is at no cost to them. So annual flu shots, if you want your fifth COVID jab, uh, pneumonia vaccine, for example, shingles vaccine, depending on the age, you're fully covered under the Medicare and PBS scheme. 
Number four is cancer screening. So again, check with your GP specialist about cancer screening. We have lots and lots of national and statewide screening programs for things like bowel cancer, breast cancer, all of which are completely government funded. Uh, This does not happen in a lot of the other countries. So take advantage of it to look after yourself when it comes to health, because these schemes are out there and they're at low cost, if not free to you. Medication reviews. Now, did you know that if you're having five or more medications, if you've got a parent who's you know, a retiree or elderly Australian and they've got five or more medications, sometimes your GP specialist can organise a pharmacy review called a home medicines review of your medications. Now, that can be at a reduced cost. And this is also for aged care residents. If you've got grandparents or parents in the aged care sector, there's also something called RMMR, Residential Medication Management Reviews. Beg your pardon. It's been a while since I've done one um, because I used to be in the aged care sector. Um, But that's like a massive topic. The aged care system is quite complex and a massive topic, but it's useful to get your GP specialist to, to refer you for a DMMR or or RMMR because, you know, you may not need to be on all of those medications. So these are all important questions that you should be asking your healthcare professional and also knowing that you have the eligibility for. Now, there's also um, tax offsets as well. So seniors and pensioners are eligible for some tax offsets. But again, it's a very complex topic to discuss. I suggest you speak to your accountant or Centrelink office or check online with the ATO website. So again, these are all the things that you would need to understand under the healthcare benefits scheme if you're in the retiree bracket. So that's number two. So number two is basically knowing and understanding what sort of government schemes and benefits you may be eligible for. And number one is, of course, ignoring super. Don't do it. Number three is spending like you're still working in retirement. The average Australian is likely to live 80 to 85 years, and it's likely to be longer in the future. So you need your retirement savings and investments to last you around the 35 to 50 year mark, and that depends on how long you live. So this means you need to be very careful how you spend your money in retirement. Have a listen to my budget episode, episode 218, for more information on some basic principles on budgeting. But generally speaking, though, I think you'll need around that 70% of your income you earn per year while you're at your peak earning years. That's in today's dollars. That doesn't account for inflation, remember. So if you earned $100,000 during your career annually, and you think you need about 70%, which is what I think you need, you're likely to need around $70,000 in retirement every single year. Again, that's today's dollars. That's not in futures dollars. So that's actually higher than what most people actually account for. Now, consider that there's a U-shaped strategy here. Initially, your expenses in retirement will be higher because you might be splashing out on holidays or spending a little bit more because you're so excited about reaching that retirement phase. Then it kind of settles during the mid-phase of your retirement and you kind of, you know, back to stability, back to usual life. And towards the end of your life, you have more expenses like aged care and carers payments and healthcare costs, which may dominate your expenses. So you've got to have that sort of U-shaped strategy when it comes to retirement. Now think about things like whether you need a second car or always need to eat out at restaurants. So, you know, you can't be spending like you're still working in your retirement, unless of course you're planning to retire on, uh, you know, several million dollars. 
Number four is underestimating income requirements in super. Now, this is surprisingly common, especially amongst the healthcare community. I speak to many doctors who routinely tell me they can live on $60,000 per year annual income as a retiree when I ask them the question, how much do you think you need per year to retire on? Whilst at the same time, they're also telling me things like during their earning years, Right now, their annual income is anywhere between three hundred dollars to $500,000 per year. So how can you live on fifty dollars to $60,000 in your retirement when you're kind of living on about half a million dollars today? It doesn't work like that. Now, if you're used to a certain lifestyle for 30 years, very difficult to just sort of give it all up and then live on a significantly lower income. So you've got to be very realistic when you estimate your income requirements um, in your retirement phase. So I think it's important to think about some formulas. Here are some simple formulas which I've calculated for myself, and I think you need to calculate for yourself what is suitable and what is acceptable for yourself. Now, I think the rule of thumb is around the 70% of my peak earning years. That's what I think people should aim for when it comes to retirement income, and that's what I'm hoping to achieve and hopefully will achieve. That's sort of my ultimate aim. And there's been research done on this. And on average, I think the figure comes to around the 67% of the annual income during the earning years. So I've sort of rounded that off to about 70%. And some financial advisors even advise up to 80%, which I think it's pretty high. So I've, again, I've sort of picked out in between sort of 70% to me sits well. Now, how can you come up with a figure for yourself? And what are some of the things that you need to consider uh, when coming up with this figure? Number one is, you got to sort of think about how long do you expect to live? This is really hard a question to predict um, and to answer, and you almost have to forecast your death. But essentially, if you have health concerns or family issues or risk factors, uh, issues that may affect your life expectancy naturally, which is may not be as high as the fitter person or the average Australian. Um, so you need to think about that because underestimating your life expectancy is a real risk. Number two is you can look at your expenses. Reasonably, what expenses are not changeable when it comes to retirement and what expenses are changeable or reducible or even possible to eliminate. For example, schooling. It becomes a non-issue in your retirement years for most people. That's a huge cost saving if you go private, for example, which can be up to $100,000 or more for fees alone for two children in their peak schooling years. Now, that's an equivalent of about $180,000 to $200,000 pay rise gross if you're on the highest tax bracket. So again, you've got to reasonably be able to predict what your expenses are. Number three is where do you want to live? If you want to live in a major city like Sydney or Melbourne, then expenses are going to be higher. If you want to live in a rural area or a regional area, then your expenses may be lower, especially if you don't own your own home. Number four is what sort of holidays or retirement lifestyle do you want to have? You know, you're happy to fly economy class and, you know, stay in three, four star hotels, or do you want to fly business class or first class and, um, you know, always stay in five star resorts when you go on holidays. So these are all things that you need to, you know, think about. You also need to think about, are you going to go once, twice, three times a year? Are you going to have any holidays at all? Are you going to go international? Are you going to go mostly local? Are you going to, you know, hook up that caravan and just drive around Australia, which is what a lot of Australian retirees do, particularly at the early phase of their retirement. These are all questions they need to think about. Now, when it comes to formulas, there are various formulas, right? There's a 4% rule, there's a 3.5% rule or the 5% rule, for example, which is often floated around when it comes to how can you reliably predict your income requirements in retirement. 
And, you know, this is when you decide how much income you actually need to retire on. So once you decide that figure, then you divide that figure, I use a 4% rule uh, by 0.04. And the final figure is how much income producing assets you need to have in retirement in today's dollars. That doesn't, you know, count the inflationary pressures that you may have when you retire. So it's not really a hard and fast rule, but a rule of thumb. So let's use an example to sort of highlight some of these concepts. So Amy's 35 years old and is starting to think about her retirement. She has an income of about $150,000 per annum at the moment, and she's trying to work out how much she needs in gross income in retirement when she stops working. So in simple rule of thumb for her is 70% of $150,000, which is around $105,000 in retirement income per year. That is in today's dollars. I'll stress that again. Now, if she wants to work out how much retirement assets she will need to produce that level of income, and she's a conservative person, so she prefers to use a 3.5% rule, the formula then becomes 105,000 divided by 0.035, which is around $3 million of income producing assets. Now, these are rough figures. So remember, she doesn't want to sell anything and hopefully wants to grow her portfolio in retirement. That's a controversial view, which I understand, because she wants to leave a legacy for her family. Now, you may think that's a bit hardcore, but I think it's not. You need to think about this and plan for this. Otherwise, you will waltz into retirement without any clear plan in terms of how much income you really need. You may wish to think about selling some of your investments if you don't want to leave a portfolio for your family after you die. And in that case, the portfolio need not be as high as Amy's. Everything is individualized and negotiable. And unless you sit down and calculate these things, it's not going to be apparent for you. Now, the 4% rule or the 3.5% rule or the 5% rule, that basically means you can withdraw that amount of money reliably from your portfolio every year for expenses and still be okay for your retirement, even if there are some market shocks. They have studies on this and they've done heaps of studies and I've discussed them before in various episodes. I won't bore you with that data in this episode. If you really want to understand this, refer to episode 37, which is way back when I was DevRaga Personal Finance, where I discussed this particular principle in detail. Now, is the 4% rule the same as the rule of 25s? People often confuse the two. A lot of people think that they're both the same. I think personally, they're slightly different, but it's very slight. The 4% rule for me, I use as income as the benchmark. The rule of 25s is using expenses as the benchmark. Remember, I prefer to pay myself first, even in retirement, because I'm never going to stop investing. That's the golden rule. So in Amy's example before, if she needed $105,000 of income, she would need $3 million in portfolio. Now, supposing she needed $105,000 in expenses, then she may need a higher amount. Because remember, if you just meet your expenses, you have no room to wiggle and you can't invest. That's a tiny difference, but an important one. Number five is forgetting about healthcare. As you get older, unfortunately, you will get health problems. Planning for healthcare is really important. I've done an episode on private health insurance in episode 309, where I cover everything about the private sector. A lot of people think Australia has a universal healthcare system. We technically don't. We have a universal health insurance system, which is called Medicare. Australians still need to pay out-of-pocket expenses to see healthcare professionals as an outpatient or in their clinic because the Medicare rebate doesn't cover the cost of the consult. Successive governments have frozen the Medicare rebate, and that's affected the cost of living pressures. You, the patient. Australians still need to pay for things like dental care, allied health care, physiotherapy, podiatry, optical. 
we'll still need to fork out money for prescriptions. Now, don't get me wrong, the cost is lower in Australia compared to other countries, no doubt. But don't confuse universal healthcare versus universal health insurance system. So you've got to plan for healthcare expenses. Now, I want to explain my personal story at this stage covering the aged care residents. I used to be a GP geriatric specialist. It was not uncommon that families would not pay the pharmacy bills of their parents in aged care. It happens all the time. Then you as a doctor get asked to reduce to medications by the patient or by the nursing home who simply can't afford to pay for the pharmacy bills. Imagine that. A country like Australia. Should that happen? I don't think so. Does it happen? Absolutely, yes. Every bloody day. I know plenty of doctors listening in who are GP geriatric specialists being in this exact position, having to cut down medications for patients because they simply can't afford it. Medicines cost money. Pharmacies are not free. The healthcare system, as much as we like to believe it, is not free. It's mostly low cost. And if you go to a hospital, it's free at the point of healthcare for you. But everything costs money. We don't have a perfect system. We can make it more perfect. We need to make it more perfect. And we definitely want to reject the American healthcare system in Australia. I certainly do not want to see the American healthcare system in Australia. And the majority of healthcare workers would probably agree with me. So forgetting about healthcare and not planning for it during your retirement is a huge risk factor. So those are the five things. We're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we will continue to learn some of the most common retirement money mistakes. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Now, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to talk retirement money mistakes. And we're up to number six, which is basically being too conservative in your investments and not factoring in inflation. This is actually a very common thing that I get. Of course, I'm not a financial advisor and I can't provide specific financial advice. But think about it this way. The average person is going to live until mid-80s in Australia. Even if you work under the age of 70, you will have another 15 years for your retirement nest egg to last you. So not planning for this time frame can be a huge mistake. So don't think automatically at age 65 or 70, you'll sell all of your stock market investments and just transfer them to all bonds because although that's possible, it may not be a wise decision based on your situation. 
In fact, if you retire at age 65, you may live until the age of 100. Who knows? And you could run out of money based on poor returns from very conservative investments. This is where behavior comes in. What is your investing style? I can tell you right now, I won't be selling much of my Vanguard portfolio. I won't be selling any of my index funds even as I get older because I'm trying to build a legacy with my portfolio. So if you have a large enough portfolio, it kind of doesn't matter too much. I often say to people, if you plan for, you know, 15 million and you only reach seven and a half million, fine, you can slum it on that. So being too conservative in your investments and not factoring in inflation is a big problem. Now, I've discussed about inflation numerous times during my podcasting life, but I won't bore you with it again. But essentially, it means prices of things get higher over time, and it means your purchasing power erodes over time. 2022 was a beautiful example of why you shouldn't keep your money in cash buried under your bed because it loses purchasing power very quickly and value over time. Now, I think Australian inflation finished at about 7% overall in the end of 2022. And I think the latest figures that they sort of released is hopefully trending down. Who knows? But in fact, if you retired in 91 with a half a million dollar portfolio, the same portfolio would need to be around $884,000 in 2021 to give you the same purchasing power. Now, I've excluded the hyperinflationary period of 2022 on purpose. Over this period, the annual inflation, that is between 1991 and 2021, you know, it's a good, uh, what, 30 years, has been around 2.6%. That's been the annual inflation amount. But the overall cost has risen 76.8%. Again, I haven't included 2022 because it's a bit of an anomaly. In other words, supposing we go on the same trajectory of 2.6% over the last 20, 30 years to the next 20, 30 years... And if your coffee today costs $5, it'll end up costing $8.35 in 2043. And if it rises to 3% annual inflation, then the coffee cost in 20 years will be $9.03, almost double. So to understand inflation, it's probably easier to also use some examples to see how inflation impacts your retirement and how long it'll last. Let's say you have a starting portfolio of 750000 and assume an annual drawdown of 55,000, and assume annual return on investments of 4%, which is very, very conservative. Now, supposing the inflation rate is around a percent per annum, that 750 will last you 18 years. If inflation jumps to 3.5%, it'll last you 15 years. But inflation goes to 7% per annum, that 750 is only going to last you about 10 to 12 years. The moral here is when I calculate how much money I need to retire on, it's in today's dollars and not in later future dollars. Number seven is ignoring sequence of returns risk. In episode 28, which I recorded way back in 2019, seems like yonks away now, I discussed this concept. Let's briefly touch it. Basically, what this means is that the timing of your retirement and the initial returns on your portfolio in the first few years of your retirement may make or break your retirement. That is, the order and timing of poor returns on your investment can have a big impact on your retirement portfolio and how long it lasts. Couple that with inflation, then we have a major problem or potential major problem. The sequence of returns risk is largely a problem if you're not adding to your portfolio, because remember, if your portfolio drops and you add more to it, then overall, it's a good thing. That's dollar cost averaging. But if you don't add to it and keep withdrawing, then you tend to deplete your asset portfolio quicker than usual. 
So this is mostly a retirement issue and not an issue during your wealth accumulation phase, but it's also an issue when you retire because you withdraw money for your living expenses. And if you didn't do it, and it doesn't matter what the sequence of returns are. In other words, you know, if you're still contributing money in your retirement into your investment portfolio, you still pay yourself 20%, then the sequence of returns risk doesn't really affect you very much. But if you're thinking of retiring and not actually contributing any money to your retirement portfolio, and you just withdraw money from it, then yeah, sequence of returns risk is a problem. Now, again, the best way to explain this is to use an example. Let's say you have two people, Amy and Rob, that are two investors. Both have a million dollars in their portfolio. Inflation is just 2% and the withdrawal rate is $50,000 per year. Now, Amy experiences, let's say, a decline in her investments in year one and two of 15%. Her portfolio suffers initially and depletes at around 17 and a half years into a retirement given those figures. So Amy then just literally runs out of money. This means if she retires at the age of 65, by the time she's 82 and a half, she has no money left because of the initial year one and two of 15% decline. Rob, on the other hand, experienced the same 15% decline, but he only experiences this in years 10 and 11. His portfolio, actually at 17.5 years after retirement, still has a cool $400,000 left. Remember, they both started at a million dollars. So there's plenty more steam for Rob compared to Amy. So the fact that Rob didn't have any decline for the first 10 years has meant that he has a lot more money at age 82.5, assuming he retires at age 65. Sequence of returns risk. This is where a good retirement financial planner or advisor comes in handy to discuss these issues, as it's often forgotten about when planning or even preparing for retirement. Number eight is just having too much debt. This is a no-brainer. My general philosophy is try and avoid debt where possible. I get it. Buying a home is not possible, mostly with cash these days, given the rise in property prices, even accounting for the rise in interest rates. But if you do buy a home, please don't overcommit. If your eligibility, let's say, is a million dollars, then buy a home for $800,000 or $900,000. The principles are the same. Debt is like trying to swim with a weight attached to your leg. It's going to be harder to swim. You're most likely going to sink. People make it seem like debt is awesome and somehow a magical tool to create wealth. Everything has risks, including debt. So when planning for retirement is a simple rule of thumb. At age 50, you've got to seriously think about if you have any debt. And I don't mean offsets and equilibrium. That's different. I mean real debt, which you owe money to. Consumer debt and principal place of residence debt and maybe even investment debt. After the age of 50, Try and reduce your debt as much as possible. Try and be debt-free, ideally, at the age of 50 or 55. The worst thing in retiring with debt is it's a disaster waiting to happen. It hangs over your head. And you don't need that kind of stress in your life during your golden years of retirement. Number nine is just helping the kids out too much. Now, I get it. Kids are the most important people in your life and blah, blah, blah. I have kids. I love them too. But fundamentally, I don't think kids should write off their parents' assets. And that's why I don't specifically invest for my children. I have a robust will and estate planning for my family, but my money is my money. I'm sorry, kids, if that sounds harsh and if you're listening. Now, I'll go into Devraga philosophy here a little bit. I see my role as a parent not to provide huge amounts of wealth to any of my children. My role is to provide safety and security, good food, shelter, good education, values and just being a good parent. What tends to happen mostly is if you did these, 
Hopefully your children are likely to follow in your footsteps. They're likely to save money. They're likely to get a good education. They're likely to not do stupid stuff with their money. If you don't do these things and just invest for them in various trust funds, well, it may work out, but chances are it won't. That's why lottery winners and kids of rich people sometimes just fail miserably to protect their wealth. Now, having said this, Dev Raga sounds like an absolute a-hole. I'm not. I'm just trying to be as real as possible. If children are given opportunities, it's up to them to take it up. You can't shove it down their throat. You've got to direct them. You've got to educate them. You've got to support them. But I also think it's vital that we as parents have to look out ourselves. Because imagine, we save money, then we spend it all on the kids, give it away early in our retirement, then there's a point where we may have to rely on the child in latter parts of our retirement. And relying on your children for money during retirement is not a good retirement money decision. Number 10 is buying a brand new car. One of the temptations I find doctors especially, and generally anyone when they reach a milestone in their life, and retirement is a milestone, is to buy something for themselves as a reward. For example, I get messages from registrars who pass their fellowship exams and they want to go out and buy themselves a reward. Buying a car is one of them. Now, retirement is an important milestone, so it's also tempting that the same behavioural characteristics come in and you can replicate it. Now, I don't mind buying cars. I like cars. I just think if you can do the sums and make a decision wisely, then it's useful. Now, definitely don't borrow money in your retirement to buy a car. That's just hands down stupid. You may be wise perhaps to withdraw some of your super and buy a car in your retirement. Sure, but just make sure you don't overspend. And do those sums and calculations to find out how long your super will last with a new car or without a new car. You'll also need to make some calculations on your current car and maintenance costs versus buying a new car. Sometimes the maintenance costs may be more significant in your current car than just buying a brand new one over the period of your retirement. So you've got to do those sums. If you're in the market for a new car, think electric. Now, I just watched the latest data for the month of uh, Jan and Feb. 12% of all vehicles sold in Australia was electric. With Model 3 Tesla, number three best-selling car ever. And the number one is Ford Ranger. Number two was Toyota Hilux. Number 11 is underestimating life expectancy. Now, I've discussed this earlier in this podcast. It's not a secret if you live longer, you need more money to last longer, and it's likely you'll need more money to begin with. Or your retirement lifestyle has to take some adjustment. The equation is pretty simple. Now, to highlight this principle, let me use an example to see how life expectancy changes can result in changes to your retirement portfolio. Amy is 65 and she's planning for a retirement. The current average Australian life expectancy for females is 83 years old. This means she has 18 years left on average and assuming inflation long-term average is around 3% and assuming she has a million dollars in her portfolio and assume there's a 7% annualised return and let's assume the withdrawal rate is around $70,000 per annum. If she did this, her money would last around 22 years, taking her to age 87. She's pretty safe. Now, if she lived until the age of 89, she would need to withdraw rather than $70,000, she'd need to withdraw $65,000 yearly. This would mean her lifestyle would need to be adjusted. If she lived until age 90, she would need to withdraw only $62,500 and not $70,000 a year. If she lived until the age of 93, she would need to withdraw $60,000 and not $70,000. Notice as more and more she lives into the future with the same portfolio, she would need to plan for lower and lower withdrawal rates, which would impact on her lifestyle, assuming the same rate of annualised return and same inflation rate. And we all know that's a bit of a pipe dream. And if she lived until the age of 105, 
then she would need to withdraw only $50,000 rather than $70,000. So again, the longer you live, your lifestyle will need to adjust. Number 12 is not updating or even having a will or estate planning. Now, I've done episodes on this before, so I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I speak to colleagues even now who don't have a will. Nurses especially. If you're a nurse listening, have a will. Plenty of doctors in their 30s and 40s don't have a will. Lawyers, accountants, just generally. Most people in their 20s and 30s and 40s just don't have a will. It's a disaster if you die without a will. Don't die interstate. Having a will is the biggest gift you can give to your family. I find it really funny because I speak to a lot of people and I see a lot of posts on Facebook about protecting their children and thinking about investing for them. Well, if you want to invest for your children, invest in a will. It doesn't make sense otherwise. So please get a will or at least think about it, have a plan and get in touch with a will and estate lawyer. Now, that's about it for this episode. We've discussed a lot in this episode and it's been a long one, particularly when it comes to retirement. The moral here is retirement planning can be complex and there are a number of factors to consider. To recap, inflation, the amount of portfolio you start off with, sequence of returns risks, the withdrawal rates, the behaviour in retirement, the lifestyle expectations and cost of living pressures, temptations like buying a car or an expensive holiday, the U-shaped retirement, helping kids too much at the detriment of your retirement. Kids, if you're listening, this is dad. You're on your own, but dad still loves you. But dad and mum also love travelling business class, spending too much in your retirement, ignoring superannuation, not knowing what government benefits you're eligible for, more and more and more. We've covered all of these concepts in today's episode. Now, remember, if you like this channel, if you like these episodes, remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using, or just leave a five-star review on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review because it really helps promote these episodes and There's a lot of thought and effort that I put in to plan for these episodes. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast, so please keep them coming. My name's Dev Riker, and this is My Millionaire Money Professional. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.